Morning. Happy New Year. It's good to see all of you this morning. Uh, before we begin, yes, I, I wanted to just reemphasize this coming Wednesday, we start back up our midweek service, and we're just hoping that many people will just start out the new year with us, not only on Sunday, but on Wednesday night. In fact, have you ever struggled to trust or believe God? <laughs> Well, that's what Wednesday night's message is all about. I think it'll be an encouragement to you out of the book of Genesis. And as Mike did say, we've got our women's ministry starting back up this week. The men have been up and running. We've got the couples uh, retreat coming up in a couple weeks. A lot of stuff to re-engage and and, uh, to start out the new year uh, in a positive way. Joshua chapter 5 this morning is where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 5. Throughout the holiday season, several people ask me, since I've been doing this series in Joshua, Jeff, where where do you think God is moving us then as a church? You know, we've we've talked about how God is wanting to move his people, and uh, he's ready to move us into a a new season and and whatnot. Are we ready? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. And I'm basically said, I don't know specifics yet of where God is moving us. I don't think we're there yet. I think what God is looking for now is that we're all willing to move in the same direction. Because getting all of us to move with Him in the same direction, that's enough of a big start. And that's where Israel was at this point. Remember, Israel finally is ready to unite and go together into the promised land. And so they've crossed the Jordan River, and they're now at the brink of their first major obstacle in the promised land, the city of Jericho. And we're going to talk about how to conquer Jericho next week in Joshua chapter 6. But here in Joshua chapter 5, before we even get to the passage, I want you to look at verse 1. Verse 1 is a fulfillment of actually the last verse of chapter 4. Because a couple weeks ago we saw that God did everything that He did. He manifested His power and might and strength in the midst of His people, and He allowed them to cross the Jordan River. Notice verse 24 of chapter 4 so that all the nations of the earth might recognize the Lord's power. God didn't just move to make an impression and an impact upon His people. He moved in such a way to make an impact and an impression upon the people who did not know Him. And so we come up to chapter 5, verse 1, and we read that the Canaanite hearts are melting because Israel has crossed a flooded river. It says, when all the Amorite kings on the west side of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites, while they crossed, they lost their courage and could not even breathe for fear of the Israelites. Literally, their hearts were melting. In short, this verse is a reminder that the Lord went before Israel and demoralized their enemies even before they got there. So before we get into the rest of the chapter, let me remind all of us, as we get ready to step into a new year, none of us knows what this new year is going to bring to each of us and to our church. 
But we can know this. God has went before us. And whatever enemies you and I may face in this coming year that could hold us back spiritually, that could bring defeat rather than victory, that could challenge our spiritual life with God, that could hinder our spiritual life in any way, we've got to know and trust that those enemies have already been defeated by God. And we need to live in that victory that God has already provided because he's already went ahead of us and defeated those enemies, just like he did for the Israelites. Now, beginning in verse 2, through the rest of the chapter, though, in this section, we see that God instructs Joshua on three steps, three principles that were going to be necessary before he, God, would give victory to his people. Now, I say that because that is true today. If you and I are going to live in victory as a Christian today, then these same steps, these same principles are just as relevant and just as applicable to us today if we're going to live in victory. And I'm going to sort of use three words that begin with the letter C, to sort of get us to be able to remember these steps or principles. In verses 2 through verse 9, it's the word consecration. You could also use the word commitment there. Okay? Then in verse 10 through 12, it is the word celebration. Celebration. And finally, in verses 13 through 15, it is the word consciousness. Or you could also use the word cognizant or cognizance, okay? And primarily in those verses, God is speaking about being and growing in our consciousness of his presence and in our consciousness of who he really is. These are the steps. These are the things God was looking for in his people before he would give them Victory. So the first one is consecration or commitment. Read along with me as I read, beginning at verse 2 of Joshua chapter 5. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites once again. Now, remember, At this point in the story, Joshua is approximately 85 years old. He's not a young man at this point. But he's a great military leader. He's the military leader of Israel. And he knows there are things and there are peoples that need to be defeated and conquered in the promised land for his people to take possession of it. And here he knows, as the rest of Israel that the enemies that they're going to face are already demoralized. So, you know, the old saying is, strike while the iron is hot, right? That, that would be the logical thing to do. And God comes up with this crazy idea. No, we're not going to strike while the iron is hot. We're going to just put the brakes on and pause for a moment, and we're going to come back to renewing the covenant with me and instituting the rite of circumcision. 
God, what are you doing? Don't you realize time's a-wasting? And one thing I want to say at the very outset is this is an illustration that God is very deliberate as he leads his people. God is not in any hurry like we are. God is not in hurry mode. God is wanting to make sure that his people and their hearts are with him first before we continue on with him. See, we're always in a hurry, even as Christians, to get to the next thing because that's the world we live in. And God is like, what I'm telling you to do may not make sense. It may not make sense logically. It may not make sense, you know, uh, in, in military uh, form. But I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. And it's a reminder to us of what the prophet Isaiah writes when God says, my ways are not your ways. The way I do things and my plans aren't like your plans. And that's why we have to be willing to follow a God that we won't always understand and maybe doesn't at least outwardly make sense to us because he's going to ask us to do things that at the moment seems counterintuitive. Just like, I want you to stop Joshua now, even though the enemies are demoralized and I want you to institute the rite of circumcision. And obviously, too, Joshua is thinking militarily, wait a minute, God. You're asking me basically to lay up all the good men in Israel for a couple weeks to have them circumcised. Because we're not going to be able to do anything until they heal from this, right? Yeah, that's what I'm asking you to do. And why is God asking them to do that? Because consecration must precede conquest in our life. See, God wasn't about this great military plan that he wanted to give Joshua, even though Joshua may be even looking for some great military strategy. God was looking for, where's the hearts of my people? And are they truly committed and consecrated to me? We want God to give us victories in our life, but are we willing to be a consecrated, committed people? Are we willing to do the things that we know we already should be doing? So let me circle back even as a pastor of a local church. So many Christians today want to live in victory, and yet they're not even willing to engage faithfully in a local church. That's easy. That, that, if you can't do that as a Christian then a lot of the other things like worshiping God every day consistently and reading and studying the Word of God every day consistently and praying every day, those things aren't going to come either because it's real easy just to show up consistently and faithfully to the house of God. Forget about even serving at this point, just showing up. So God is about, are you doing the things that you should be doing? And are you doing them faithfully? And are you doing them consistently? And is your heart with me? That's why he told Joshua, verse 2, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites once again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites on the hill of the foreskins. This is why Joshua had to circumcise them. All the men old enough to fight when they left Egypt died on the journey through the desert after they left Egypt. 
Now all the men who left were circumcised, but all the sons born on the journey through the desert after they left Egypt were uncircumcised. Couple things. First of all, notice for 40 years, the Israelites did not practice circumcision. And again, God did not institute circumcision back even with Abraham as primarily a physical operation. Just like baptism. Baptism is a physical thing, but it symbolizes so much more than that. It's about what takes place at the heart level between us and God. And the same thing is true with circumcision. Circumcision may be a physical operation, but it's more about the spiritual operation that takes place in people's hearts. And that's what God is looking for. Because circumcision was given to Abraham and then perpetually throughout Israel's history as a sign of the covenant. As a sign that God, we trust you. We believe in your word. We trust in your promises. We believe that you're going to come through no matter how crazy it might be. That's why he gave it to Abraham because he kept telling Abraham and Sarah as they kept getting older and older and older. The son of promise is going to come through you. And they're like, this is crazy. We're way past the age of being able to. And God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you to confirm that you've just got to believe in me no matter how impossible it may seem because I'm the God of the impossible. Trust me. Believe in me. That's why he instituted circumcision. It was to show the people of God I can be trusted. I can be relied upon. I can depend upon. And when they did that, that was a sign of them to God that, yes, God, we believe in you. We trust in you. Because it was so much more than the physical. Listen, there's some people that think that the Jews were the only ones that ever circumcised. No. There were nations all around the world that circumcised. That wasn't, that wasn't like the sign that they were God's people. It was what the sign meant to them that set it apart. And it was all about the heart. And we know that also because the passage we just read said, listen, just because you do something externally, just because you do something religiously, just because you may have all the trappings of being a follower of God doesn't truly mean your heart is there and in it. Because as we just read, every last male that left Egypt was circumcised. So they had the mark, if you will, of God on them. But their heart wasn't with God. That's why they died in the wilderness. Because they may have had all the marks of being the people of God, but they lacked one essential thing, and that was a heart that responds to God. And they didn't have that. So we have to be careful on that end too. We need to make sure that we're doing the things that we're doing, but that we're doing it from a heart level. Otherwise, we can become very religious and very spiritual, if you will, and know what we should look like and be like and sound like outwardly, and yet our heart can be far from God. God is looking for a consecrated, committed people. And God says, when I begin to see the seeds of commitment and consecration in your life, then I'll give you victory. Are you with me, God is saying to his people. And God is saying the same thing to us today as a church at the beginning of a new year. I want to take you into new experiences and to new things with me. But I need to see that you all as a group of people are willing to all move in the same direction and that you're all willing to be consecrated and committed to following me. Notice in verse 6. 
Indeed, for 40 years, the Israelites traveled through the desert until all the men old enough to fight when they had left, left Egypt, the ones who had disobeyed the Lord, died off. For the Lord had sworn a solemn oath to them that he would not let them see the land. He had sworn on oath to give them a land rich in milk and honey. Verse 7, he replaced them with their sons whom Joshua had circumcised. Don't miss that. God will replace those who are not ready to follow him with those who are ready to follow him. See, that's the tragedy of it. That's why I've said from the very beginning of this series in Joshua, I believe that God is ready for, to move us as a church to a new place with him. The only question is, are we ready? And the sobering thing is then we have to say, if we're not ready, God is going to look for people who are ready. Because God is going to keep moving. And, and we're going to be the ones, if we're not ready to move with God, that's going to miss out on the blessing, just like that generation that left Egypt. We may have all the outward trappings of being the people of God, all the earmarks, but where's our heart? Do we have a heart that is truly committed and consecrated to God? The Lord then, verse 9, said to Joshua, Today I have taken away the disgrace of Egypt from you. So they called that place Gilgal, which literally means to roll away. And that's not only speaking about the physical operation of circumcision. It's also very figurative of the fact that Gilgal is the place of resurrection of the people of God. God isn't just about improving his people. You know, it's not like the, the uh, advertisements that I've seen throughout the years for certain products. New and improved, right? You see that? Uh, new and improved. No, God isn't about improving his people. He's about transforming his people. We are a new creation in Christ. And that's what the people of God were at Gilgal. That's what it marked. I'm rolling away the old and I'm bringing in something totally new. That's what God wants to do. But in order to do that, they needed to renew the Lord's covenant through the rite of circumcision. They needed to be a consecrated, committed people at the heart level. Then and only then would God bring victory. Second, verse 10. They also needed to remember the Lord's goodness and celebrate the Lord and what he had done. So the Israelites camped in Gilgal and celebrated the Passover in the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. They also ate some of the produce of the land that day after the Passover, including unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped appearing the day they ate some of the produce of the land. The Israelites never ate manna again. The first thing they celebrated, Passover. This is only the third time that the Israelites had ever celebrated Passover since it was instituted 40 years before. Only the third time. And the observance and celebration of Passover would serve to draw Israel's eyes back to God. That's so important. That's why God wants us to grow in our celebrating of Him and our gratefulness and our thanksgiving and our praise and our worship and all of that. Because it always draws our eyes, our hearts, 
our attention, our focus back to God. That's what worship, that's what celebration of God is all about. It brings us back to God and and helps us focus on Him. And let's get specific. First of all, Passover. Remembering that God gave them the instruction to apply the blood to the doorpost and lentil so that the death angel would pass over their house and that their firstborn would not die. God gave them that provision of the blood. And you and I living on this side of the cross and on this side of the sacrifice of the of Christ every day can be thankful and celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and know that you and I have been set free and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That you and I have a home in eternal glory because of what Christ has done. That we can celebrate what Jesus did for us knowing that we're never the same and that all that we will ever have and be is because of our Passover Lamb. The Passover always remembering who God is and what God has done for us. Are we a consecrated people and are we a celebrating people? Are we content with what God has already done and thanking Him for it? Are we more like the Israelites who left Egypt and did nothing but complain and gripe and murmur and were ungrateful to all that God had done for them by setting them free? You know, we live in a society today, we always want more no matter what we have, and we're never thankful for the things that we already have. That's not living a life of celebration. If God never did one more thing for us, we still have more than enough. We've still been more than blessed out of our minds if God never did one more thing for us. Celebrating the goodness of God, remembering the goodness of God, of God. Not just in the Passover, but you'll notice also, I want to point out the manna, which we could easily bypass, but let's not forget something. God provided for his people every meal for every person, couple million people, for 40 years. They never missed a meal. Supernaturally, God sent manna down from heaven for 40 years, and they never missed a meal. God is faithful. And God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to us this past year, and He will continue to be faithful to us in this new year. Now, God always provides, though He is free to change the type of provision Because you'll notice that even though God was very faithful and provided manna for his people for 40 years, he didn't want his people to live off of manna for the rest of their lives. He wanted to bring them into that land flowing with milk and honey that he had told them about. And so it's really cool that finally, after all those years, they finally get to eat some of the produce of the land. They get to eat the fruit that God was talking about. And the same thing is true today. God is saying, Don't settle for the manna for the rest of your life. I have even more for you that I want you to experience. But you'll never experience eating this new fruit over here if you stay settled with the manna. I got more. And it's going to even taste better than what you're eating right now. I'll take care of you. I'll be faithful to you. But I have more for you. And I I can't imagine as they began to eat that produce of the land, how good that tasted to them. 
because there was nothing like it, God said. It will taste so good to you, and it's yours, and I'm giving it to you. Do you believe me? God wants to do the same thing with his people today. But again, he, he's looking for a few things, just a few things in our life, and he doesn't have to see them in great abundance just to begin to see the, the seeds that are germinating in our life of consecration or commitment and then celebration. Do we celebrate the Lord every day? Because we have so much about him to celebrate. And then we come to verse 13. Again, remember, Joshua is approximately 85 years old. He's led Israel to victory before. But he realizes he's on a new journey. And that God has appointed him to be the leader of God's people. And this weight of leadership, I think, is beginning to weigh on Joshua. He's like, God, I know you want us to go in and you want us to possess the land and you want us to conquer Jericho, but you haven't really told me how that's all going to happen yet. And I just don't feel adequate even at this point to be able to come up with some kind of adequate plan. God, I'm waiting on you. And so you see Joshua here in verse 13 as he was near Jericho. I'm sure he was sort of making like a, a private personal reconnaissance mission. He's looking at this formidable city that he's got to get through with his people wondering, how am I going to do it? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. But you'll notice it says he looked up, which also means he was looking down before he looked up. I think it shows even in his posture, the weight of leadership was weighing on Joshua. He might have been praying, he might have been contemplating, but it was like, God, I need some kind of reassurance. I need to know, God, that you are with me and that you are with us at this moment. And at that moment, he saw a man standing in front of him holding a drawn sword. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want to say this at this point. I think that the man that Joshua encounters at this point is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus on earth. It is what we would call in theology a Christophany, where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. By the way, that is a truth that is not being taught anymore in many churches and in many seminaries and many Bible colleges. Notice also, though, the courage of Joshua. Here's this formidable figure who already has a sword drawn. And the Bible says Joshua approached him. I think I might be running the other way. And Joshua asked him, are you on our side or are you allied with our enemies? Fair question, right? Militarily thinking. But notice that the Lord doesn't answer that question. Because that's not the right question. Because Jesus isn't here to take sides. Jesus is here to take over. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do in our life too. See, it's not a question of whose side God is on. It's are we on God's side? Because if we're on God's side, following Him, trusting Him, moving with Him, then there's no enemy standing in our way that cannot be defeated. Because God has never lost a battle or a war yet. 
The battle is the Lord's. And that's what Jesus here is appearing to Joshua to reassure him and to reaffirm him of. Notice his answer is verse 14. Truly, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Another way of saying that is I'm the Lord of hosts. There's a heavenly army and guess who's in charge of it? Me. Because I'm the Lord. And I've arrived. And notice that Joshua now is having a growing awareness or consciousness or cognizance of whose presence he is in. He realizes now he's not just in the presence of some great human military leader or some great human being. He is in the presence of God himself. Why do we know that? Because Joshua bows down with his face to the ground and he worships the man with the drawn sword. See, that's what God is looking for in his people. Not just a consecration and not just celebration, but a growing consciousness of whose presence we are in and whose presence is present here with us right now. The Lord of glory is here right now with us. Are we conscious of that? Are we aware of that? And are we aware of who he really is? And to realize, too, that each of you who know the Lord is your Savior... Not only is the Lord here in our midst, He's inside of you. The Holy Spirit has put Himself inside of each of us and we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in us. Do we know whose presence inhabits us? Do we know whose presence is here with us? Is it eliciting A worshipfulness, which leads us back to that whole idea of consecration and commitment. And notice then Joshua, knowing whose presence he is in, asked this question. Because the first question was the wrong question. Now, knowing whose presence he's in, he asked a better question. What does my master want to say to his servant? By the way, the word master there is the word Adonai. Another way to translate that word is Lord. You're the Lord. I get it now. There's no one higher, no one greater, no one stronger than you. You're Adonai. You're the Lord. Do we know whose presence is amongst us? And then he says, and I'm your servant. And the word that Joshua uses for servant here speaks about one who is consumed by the will of his master. If we truly are conscious of the fact that he's the Lord, then the best question we can ask of him is, what do you want to say to your servant? I am making myself available. Whatever you want of me, God, you say it, I'll do it. That's the question we should be asking the Lord at the beginning of this year. What is it, Lord, you want to say to your servant? And I am consumed within me to do your will. Not mine, yours. Whatever it is, God, you're asking of me, that's what I'll do. It's only when we understand whose presence we are in 
and who he really is that we have that kind of perspective. And that's where God wanted to get not only Joshua, but wanted to get all of his people. Are we truly living in conscious awareness of the presence of God? Then he says in verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army answered Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet because the place where you stand is holy. Joshua did so. See, God's presence made that place a sacred place. Just like God's presence here at the Oasis Church makes this a sacred place. This is just brick and mortar. This is just a a building, right? Not because, not when God's here, it's not. When God is here, present with his people, this becomes sacred space. This place becomes holy because of God's presence. And the same thing is true with each of you. If God's spirit lives inside of you, you now become sacred space. You now are holy because of whose presence you carry with you each and every day. Are we conscious and growing in our consciousness and cognizance of the presence of God and whose presence we are in. These are the steps. These are the principles that God wanted to see in his people before he would give them victory over Jericho. And the same thing is true today. God is saying, I want to give you victory. I want you to live in victory rather than defeat. And I want you to know that there's nothing that could come against you this coming year. No challenge, no obstacle, no enemy, no opposition, nothing that can defeat you. Do you believe that, my people? And what I want to see in you is simply the the beginning seeds of consecration, celebration, and consciousness of me. And when I begin to see that, I'll give you victory. I'll change the dynamic. I'll begin to alter everything. But I need to see that first. Last week, as we were concluding our service and Nicole was leading us in that last song, I clearly heard God say, next week, the first Sunday of the year, I want you to offer your people anointing. It's a great way to start a new year, to be anointed of the Lord. I'm just the instrument that's doing it, but it's God that's actually doing the anointing of his people. And and another reason why I think it's good is anointing really is an illustration of all these principles we've talked about today. Anointing is a time of sort of recommitment and reconsecration to God. It's also a time where, as we're anointed, we are celebrating God and remembering His goodness in our life. And anointing is also a time where God's people can say, God, I'm conscious more than ever that you are with me and that you will be with me in this coming year. That's why we do it literally physically with oil and with the hand and the finger on Because it's the idea that God wants his people to know, my hands are on you. I'm with you. As you march into this new year and face whatever you're going to face. 
And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to close in prayer. And then Nicole and the worship team, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and come up and, and get ready. They're going to lead us in this last song. Any of you that would like to be anointed on this first Sunday of the new year, all you have to do is come and meet me here at the front and I will anoint you. And it's just a matter of just reminding you and reassuring you, God is with you in the coming year. God is with you in the coming year. And there's nothing in this coming year that can defeat you when you and I follow the Lord. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you today for reminding us, God, of who you are in our midst. Lord, you're not here to ever take sides. You're here to take over. Because you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no one stronger than you. No one wiser than you. No one more capable or able than you, God. And you've got us covered. And we are in your very capable hands. And you want to lead your people both personally and corporately into victory this coming year. But God, you're looking just to see that we are willing to be consecrated and committed to you. That we're willing to do the things that we already know we should be doing. And that we're living a life of growing celebration of you. That we're not ungrateful and murmuring, and complaining, and discontented. And that, God, that we're growing in our consciousness of your presence in our life and who you really are. You're the divine warrior. You have your sword drawn, and you're ready to take on enemy on our behalf. And you're ready to mow them down, God, if we'll just follow you. There is nothing or no one that can stand in your path, God. So may we follow you into this new year. And may we know, God, that you are with us like never before. Lord, may you remind us we never walk alone. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.